Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Looking to build wealth beyond the stock market? Gain access to alternative investment opportunities once reserved for the ultra-wealthy with Yield Street. Build a diversified portfolio with investments such as real estate, art, commercial finance, and other alternatives typically with low stock market correlation and targeting annual yields of up to 15%. Yield Street investment minimums start at $1,000. Head to YieldStreet.com to join over 275,000 members and create your account today. The Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. Over the line, or closing, he's in. A backhander and a save by Tony Esposito. Stan Mikita was a small guy, very cocky in those days. A right hand by Magnuson, and he puts that guy down. Magnuson trying to tear his hair out. NBC Chicago's James Naveau. Six seventy, the scores, hockey guy Jay Zawaski. Hawks win, Hawks win again. Chris Chelios in overtime. Part of Blue Wire Podcasts. Came off the boards, he shoots, he's going down to the tape. A game-winning goal. The Hawks live to fight another day. Falling back, circle and drives, get the front The Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. Chicago's going to be in last place forever. Triple Threat Sports, Fry the Coop, and by the Cincin Law Group. Let's drop the puck. Welcome in, one and all hockey fans. This is the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. My name is James Naveau from NBC5 Chicago, and with me as always is the one, the only, Jay Zawoski of 670 The Score and soon to be mm. of WBBM as he will become <laughs> podcast overlord slash dictator over there. Jay, congratulations on the new gig. Congratulations on all your life success, and uh, congratulations on having a really cute face. I like it. Oh, thank you very much. As I was watching my face during the Colby Cohen interview we're going to share later in the podcast, I'm like, God damn, my beard's out of control. <laughs> I don't know. My beard, like, I shaved uh, after the uh, What About Chicago marathon that Danny Parkins did. I gave the old shooter mustache, the Rod Beck mustache. Then I shaved, and I haven't shaved since, and that was, what, May? So yeah. my beard is real out of control right now. So anyway, no one cares about that. Thanks for joining us on the Madhouse Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at MadhousePod. Email us MadhousePod at gmail.com or on Instagram, Madhouse underscore pod. Look us up on Facebook, all that good stuff. We've also got our Tee Public shop. If you're chopping at Tee Public, check out some of our great logoed merchandise, some other cool designs we've got in the store. That link is in our bio. And anytime you shop on Tee Public, whether it's for Madhouse Podcast gear or not, Please use our link as it helps us out. So many of you have done that. Okay, so I already mentioned we're going to talk to uh, the Blackhawks' newest hire, Colby Cohen. He's 32 years old. He was just named the Blackhawks content analyst. He's a 2009 Boston University national champion, played with Kevin Shattenkirk and Nick Bonino and a bunch of other guys. Grew up playing with Patrick Kane in high school. He was a member of the Bruins' 2011 Cup team as a black ace, and he was a second-round pick of the Avalanche in 2007 he will now be part of every game broadcast with the hawks and man i didn't know what to expect i don't know colby that was a solid 45 minutes of red hot hockey conversation i loved the interview and you're going to too so make sure you stick around for that but the big but news of the day Connor the thing Murphy. that happened after we had booked the colby <laughs> cohen interview yeah seriously the big news of the day Blackhawks defenseman Connor Murphy signs a four-year extension. 
So he's got this year. Then the new deal kicks in. The new cap hit for Connor Murphy, $4.4 million. He is locked up for the next five seasons, and I have not seen a single negative thought about this deal. This is a no-brainer. This is your number two defenseman signing for very manageable money. And now, for the most part, you've got your defensive core locked up for the foreseeable future. Yeah, I mean, you obviously, we had talked before the uh, offseason had begun that the Blackhawks had very few guys under contract for the long term. And now you're looking at your defense. You've got uh, Seth Jones, you've got Jake McCabe, and now obviously you've got Riley Stillman and Connor Murphy all locked up beyond this season. You've got a really solid group of guys here. And I know they've obviously got some players in the pipeline that they're hoping will end up doing some big things for them. Your Bo Dans and your uh, Ian Mitchells, of course. But when you look at what they've got locked up in the ages of the guys that they have locked up, when this contract expires, for Connor Murphy, I believe he'll be about 33 years old. So you're really paying $4.4 million a season to a dude who should theoretically be entering the prime of his NHL career. I think that is a massive win for the Blackhawks to get him for that price. I think he, you and I would agree, I think he's been their most consistent defensive performer in recent seasons. And it really doesn't matter whether they end up slotting him on the top pairing with Seth Jones or if they bump him down and play him with McCabe on the second pairing. I really think that Connor Murphy is an important part of this blue line, and I know there is still some work to do, but I got to say their top four defensemen look so much better oh, yeah. than they have in previous seasons, and it's going to be refreshing to see a defense that I don't have to have a panic attack about every five <laughs> seconds. It's going to be really nice, and I was not expecting them to – get Murphy locked up now. I think we all kind of thought that maybe something would happen, but I didn't think the last day of August was going to be that date. So big win, I think, for the Blackhawks and really cannot say enough about how good of a player and how solid of a player Connor Murphy is. And I love the versatility that he's going to bring to this mix. Yeah, this was, you know, as I was sort of looking ahead at the seasons to come, I, I feel like once a day I find myself on cap friendly and I'm just trying to work on lines and look at contracts and stuff. That Murphy one was sort of hanging over my head. Makes 3.85 this year, was due to be an unrestricted free agent. And as you started to see some of the deals that were signed this offseason, you started thinking, wow, are they going to be able to re-sign Connor Murphy? You really hope so. And this deal gets announced today. And, you know, of course, you had the when you saw the news, I'm like, oh, boy, what's the cap hit? 4.4, that has to be a typo. It's not. He is worth every penny of that. The only caveat would be that he's had a history of back issues. Um, but it seems like he's kind of gotten through those, but they never truly go all the way away. Um, but really excited to see Connor Murphy in the fold. Um, you know, Colby Cohen will get to it a little bit later, but it's not just about on the ice with Murphy either. Great guy, great leader, big in the community. And uh, I'm really excited to have him as part of things uh, for the foreseeable future. It's, it's a really good deal by Stan Bowman. And uh, I'm really, really pleased with it. Yeah, I'm obviously I'm pumped. I really do like Connor Murphy's game a lot. I know that we've kind of talked about it extensively on the show. And like I said, just that 4.4 million for a second pairing defenseman. When you look at some of the contracts, the Blackhawks have kind of handed out this season. I mean, obviously 4.4 million. You then have what is it? 4 million, I think, even for Jake McCabe on the on that second yep. pairing potentially yep that's pretty solid for an NHL second pairing to have two guys at a combined 8.4 million dollar cap it and I know they're obviously gonna have to do some shuffling next season when it comes to uh Calvin DeHaan and whether or not he'll be back or whether they'll try to replace him with somebody else but when you look at some of the cap hits they've handed out on the blue line I think the Blackhawks have done a really nice job of assembling some complimentary pieces for for uh, Seth Jones and more importantly keeping those guys around for a longer term than just the one season I think that that ultimately is the biggest achievement the biggest victory when it comes to constructing this blue line is to kind of focus on those guys who are in their mid to late 20s and to pay them for their future performances rather than for what they've done in the past. And I think that's going to be a really big asset for the Blackhawks moving forward, especially if they can get some of these other young guys, your Kalinucks, your Stillmans, your Mitchells, to kind of uh, pan out a little bit. I think that's just going to be a huge advantage to pay the guys appropriately for what they're going to be producing in the next couple of seasons. All right, we got to the big news of the day. 
Momentarily, we're going to get to our interview with Colby Cohen. But first, I want to tell you about our friend, Kent Sinson of the Sinson Law Group. If you missed last week's Madhouse podcast, go back and give it a listen. It was absolutely outstanding. Kent Sinson breaking down everything as it regards the uh, Brad Aldrich situation, what's coming next, what's on the horizon, what we can expect. I will say, I dropped the ball a little bit and failed to ask him a simple question. Why aren't the Blackhawks just settling these cases? So he responded. I'm going to read the response, then tell you about Kent. He says, first, (laughs) this is a quote from Kent Sinson. First, it would be my guess that the Hawks have insurance for these types of lawsuits and the insurance company may be the ones deciding if the cases will settle. Second, John Doe 1 has a very strong statute of limitations defense, and the thought might be to just get the case dismissed before anything else happens. Third, it looks like John Doe 2 did not hire a lawyer until very recently, so the Hawks have not had time to come up with a strategy on that case. If I was the Hawks, I would try to settle that case, but I am sure the demand would be at least $10 million. The Hawks should offer $2 million and then see if they could meet in the middle. So there's Kent Simpson on the Blackhawks potentially settling any of those cases they're facing in the Brad Aldridge situation. Now that I've read you that quote, Kent Simpson opened his own law firm over 20 years ago after over a decade prosecuting homicide cases as an assistant Cook County State's attorney, and his results speak for themselves. He deals with all sorts of injuries as a result of accidents, slip and fall cases, hazardous drugs or products. Sinson Law Group, they charge you no fees unless they win for you. So call for a free consultation, 312-332-2107, or visit SinsonLawGroup.com. That's S-I-N-S-O-N LawGroup.com. Don't go offside. Go top shelf. Call now. Make sure you go back and listen to last week's podcast. And I want to give a special shout out to, to TSN's Rick Westhead, who's been all over this story, took the time to, on his own, tweet out our interview with Ken Simpson, shining a huge spotlight on our podcast and, of course, on this story. So thanks to Rick Westhead for doing that. We're working on getting him on the show soon. So without further ado, here's our interview with the brand new Blackhawks content analyst, Colby Cohen. Going back for it, the battle. Roder couldn't get it out of there at the point. They'll go back and forth with it. Wind up, shot, deflected, score! Cohen's shot goes in, and Boston University is your Division I champion. 4-3. Why in the world are we playing a highlight from the 2009 <laughs> National Championship game well, that's very easy. Colby Cohen, the hero <laughs> of that game, is the new Blackhawks content analyst, and he joins us here on the Madhouse Podcast. Colby, thanks so much for jumping on, man. Appreciate it. Uh, what an intro that was. <laughs> Gary Gary Thorne, I mean, I will hear that, you know, in my sleep until I no longer can hear things, guys. So uh, thanks for the intro. That that was fun. That was a cool way to start. Well, that's awesome. I, I was I actually was listening to your interview with the Blackhawks Talk podcast, and I'm like, well, I got to find that highlight. That sounds awesome. And uh, we can start there I, before we get to your role. But that team, the 09 Boston team with it was you, it was Kevin Shattenkirk, Eric Griba, uh, Nick Bonino was on that team, or a lot of NHLers. And that's not Colin a- Wilson, Matt Gilroy. We had 12. 12- yeah players from that team who played in the NHL, David Worst, our whole decor, all six regular defensemen played in the NHL. Um, all six of us. So my partner was Kevin Shattenkirk, who's obviously had an unbelievable career. Um, Colin Wilson and Benino, those were my other roommates at BU. So our class was was a pretty, you know, we, we had a good run there at BU. Could you beat this upcoming Michigan team? Uh, this Michigan team is going to be fun to watch. I mean, I, I'm, uh, very much looking forward to it. And it's funny cause I, I don't remember who I was chatting with. And I said, yes, they have so much talent and I hope they're at the frozen four cause I'll be doing the frozen four again. So I hope they're there. They bring star power. They're Michigan, great alumni base. They travel well, but I also will caution anyone and everyone and I will tell you that this will probably be the hardest coaching job Mel Pearson at Michigan is ever going to have because, you know, you got to manage some serious personalities, talent, egos. I mean, not an easy thing to do. Jack Parker, our year at BU, like 
at that year we were just talking about, we lost maybe like four games that year or so. I, maybe I'm off by one or so, but his job that year, and he was the first one to say it, I just have to stay out of your guys' way and make sure I'm managing personalities and letting you guys play on the ice. So that Michigan team will be fun to watch, and they'll they'll draw a lot of attention this season. All right. Well, we're going to get back to college hockey because it's something I definitely want to talk to you about, and it's been on my mind a lot over the last few years. But first of all, congratulations are in order. Uh, I know you filled in for Eddie O last year, but now it's official. You are the new Blackhawks content analyst, which is maybe the most vague job title I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> so let Hawks fans know, what are we going to hear from Colby Cohen in the 2021-22 season? Yeah, I actually, uh, I give the Hawks a lot of credit for being creative. And, you know, we had a lot of conversations about different things and different ways they want to interact with their fans. And that's really what it all comes down to is they want to do more with the fans. They want to show them more. Uh, they want to communicate with them more. It's really all driven around sort of fan experience and how we show up to the league. And I think that they have a lot of very cool ideas. And so we came up with this kind of situation where I'm a color analyst by trade, and that's kind of what I do. And I'll do a lot of, but I'm going to provide a lot of content as well for the team. And, you know, they've got a production company that is on, you know, on the staff, on the team. Um, that's going to be producing content around the clock, different things, uh, different opportunities. Um, you know, I've said, let's, let's get on the ice. Let's do stuff with players. Let's, let's do it for so like, let's show the fans more. Yes. It's all going to be hockey stuff, but also they're, they're guys. They're just, they're, they're like you and I, I mean, they're really good at what they do, but they are just guys, uh, like you and I, I mean, they bleed just like we do. They hurt just like we do, um, you know, and, and, you know, they get paid a lot more than you and I get paid. But, um, you know, I think, I think, you know, producing content, you know, analyzing what's going on in games, you know, being able to jump in as a, as a studio analyst, you know, being able to jump in the booth with Eddie, maybe trying some new things and potentially getting an opportunity to go between the glass and sort of rounding out the in-game broadcast. I, I think there's just going to be a lot of, uh, different opportunities that come up. And I think that's why the team, you know, came up with sort of a vague title. I think there's going to be opportunity where I'm, you know, providing content for the website, you know, just from a different point of view, obviously, because, you know, I'm not that far removed from playing. Uh, I don't think it's any secret to anybody that I didn't play a thousand games in the league. I wasn't an all-star. I wasn't the best player. I played in the NHL and guys, when I was playing, I was hanging on for dear life. Um, so I, I don't think that's a secret to anybody when you check out hockey DB, um, you know, I was drafted high and, you know, for some, you know, every player's journey goes a little bit of a different way. I, you know, I would have loved to have played for the Blackhawks, but I'll tell you, I'm not complaining that I get to be a Blackhawk in, in a different role. So I just think that, um, it's going to evolve. We're going to try a lot of new things this year, but I can just tell you in all the conversations I've had with the team, uh, has all been based around fan engagement and sort of, you know, giving them a little bit of a different look and perspective from a guy who's, I'm only 32 years old. So by playing standards, I'm starting to become an old guy. Uh, <laughs> I was just around a lot of my peers this weekend in Boston for, you know, the, the, a, a terribly sad reason, you know, we lost our, our friend, our teammate. I mean, we just, we, we lost a great guy in Jimmy Hayes, but we were all together and kind of looking around, realizing that my group now is, is an older group. You know, the 89 class, the 88 class, we're, we're, we're kind of the old guys at this point into our 30s. So, um, you know, having said that, a lot of these guys, current, former, you know, peers of mine that I played with, I played against, um, you know, college, juniors, uh, the NHL, the AHL, training camp, development camp you know, being a healthy scratch, being in, there's just, you know, there's a little bit of a different perspective that I'm able to bring, I think, because of my close proximity to the players and to the game, just based on my age and my recent experience. So uh, I'm excited. I think that um, it was a really bold move by the team to uh, bring someone in like me, to, you know, who, who is not, I don't have rich history in Chicago, you know, and I think a lot of people are kind of curious about that, but 
what I try to remind some people on Twitter and I I'll spend the time responding to just about everybody. Um, you know, as long as people are respectful to a degree, but every player came from somewhere. Every manager came from somewhere, every scout, every TV analyst, everybody comes from somewhere, you know, I mean, you, you know, Patrick Kane is from Buffalo, but he's adopted by Chicago, you know, and that would be the goal is to come here to learn the city, learn the franchise, embed myself here and, you know, become adopted by this city, which I don't expect to happen overnight. But that's really my approach to anybody who says, why, why are you here? Well, why, why is a player from Buffalo, the star of your franchise or from Winnipeg? I mean, everybody comes from somewhere. So obviously uh, Jay and I have been around the Blackhawks uh, kind of orbit for a while, uh, following the team, podcasting about the team. I've always been struck by the way that they've able to kind of leverage different multimedia elements to kind of get the message out from players and from the team. Blackhawks TV has always been absolutely fantastic. I've always loved that as a resource, especially in the early days when we were getting to know guys like Patrick Sharp and Jonathan Taves and Patrick Kane. It was just such a critical element of it. And it's great to hear that you guys are kind of branching out in these kind of new ways to kind of, like you said, engage with fans, create really great content. I do have to ask you, you mentioned kind of uh, ingratiating yourself and kind of getting to know the Chicago fan base. How have you been kind of preparing to do that during this off season and kind of uh, getting ready to take on what's kind of a really unique challenge and that you kind of get to blaze your own trail here? Yeah. I mean, honestly, I think that the Chicago Blackhawks are a team that everybody follows, no matter who you work for, no matter who you play for, you follow the Chicago Blackhawks. They're an original six team. Their ownership group is as strong as any ownership group in the league. Every player you talk to who comes to Chicago, whether it's Kimo teaming on a trade deadline at the end of his career or Kaner as a first overall pick, every player leaves or comes and says, this is where you want to play. They take care of their players. They care about little things. They care about your family. They care. I mean, the way that they've treated me and my family and making us feel comfortable into this transition, just the way they go out of your way and they do it for everyone from everybody I've talked to. This is very normal. It's nothing special towards me. And so, um, you know, uh, reading a lot of books and, and trying to understand a little bit of the, the history of the team Uh, You know, I have a good relationship with Eddie Olchek and, you know, we've spent a bunch of time talking and we will continue to talk. I've gotten a a lot of opportunity to talk with management, um, scouts. I I think they've they've kind of opened the the doors to me and given me the opportunity to to start really embedding myself and, and understanding what's going on in the organization. What are our key pillars? Um, you know, what's important and, and, you know, it's going to be a combination of, of, of reading history and talking to people and, and um, learning while I'm there, going to training camp, going to rookie camp, watching guys. You know, the one thing that I'm always really careful of is I want to judge players on what I see and not what I necessarily read. Um, and so I want to do a little bit of reading to get some basic, you know, foundational knowledge. But a lot of it is stuff that I'm going to have to see. I'm going to have to be there going to have to watch practice every day. I'm going to, you know, there are things that are going to take a little bit of time, but, you know, as long as I understand the, the important pillars from the organization, it makes that a little bit easier, but, you know, very much looking forward to training camp, you know, I'm moving out to Chicago probably later this week. Um, you know, my stuff is on a truck somewhere. And as soon as they give us the green light that it's going to be delivered to our house in Chicago, um, then we're going to, we're going to make our way out there. So it's going to be, it's going to be a learning process and, you know, it's not going to be overnight where I, where I have it all down, like guys like you that have been around the team for a long time, but uh, it's just, you know, you can learn a lot from talking to the right people and, and just really throwing yourself into the fire and, and sort of figuring a lot of it out with your eyes and, and from what you're hearing from people you talk to and that you trust. What excites me about this hire, Colby, is your relationship with the players. And I think that, you know, people that know how to listen to commentators talk know, hey, I had a conversation with this guy or that guy, and that's informing what I'm saying, right? And I think that that sort of relationship that I don't think your traditional broadcaster has, right? Like Pat Foley is not talking to Patrick Kane. 
Pat Foley's not talking to Connor Murphy. Eddie Olchek, maybe a little bit more because as a former player, but you're a peer. You're a guy who played recently with these guys. You grew up playing with Patrick Kane. Uh, I heard you mention James Van Riemsdyk in the other podcast I was listening to on the Hawks Talk podcast. You have these close relationships with these, with these guys, and that is going to inform your analysis. And I think that that is invaluable to know where the players are coming from, to know how the players are feeling. And you're going to have to be careful with how you deliver that message, of course. But that's a sort of access that the fans are getting through you that they probably haven't had before. Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't know Pat super well. We've worked a game together. Um, obviously, he knows the league like the back of his hand. Mm-hmm. He's called a million hockey games. I mean, he's he's a legend at what he's done. Uh, and Eddie is another guy. Eddie Eddie has a lot of, I mean, uh, Eddie's a, such a well-respected guy. I actually think most players look up to Eddie, um, almost like a big brother situation with Eddie. I just think he, he, he commands such a level of respect. I know he does. I, I, he just walks into a room and all of a sudden you, you, you just have this respect for him. He doesn't even have to say anything. So, you know, I think there's sort of this big brother, little brother relationship with, with Edzo. Um, and, he he knows he's got an unbelievable bead and pulse on what's happening in the league, but you're right. There's just certain things that uh, you get when you're at dinner with your friends that you just don't get when you're outside the locker room, you know, and you're right. Kaner and I were at the national program at the same time. Um, we were in high school classes together in Ann Arbor. Um, you know, he was uh, on the 88 group and I was at the 89 group, but those teams blend together there in Ann Arbor. So um, and he was actually a grade behind. If you guys kind of remember his trajectory, he left Ann Arbor and went to the OHL because he wasn't old enough yet because he's a young 88 birth year, which is why he was in our draft in the first place. So um, that type of, of, you know, that type of time spent, I mean, you know, like I just said, I, I just, uh, you know, I grew up this 89 birth year, which is, you know, why this, this whole Jimmy Hayes thing was, yeah. was just so you know, it's terrible for our group because we all, we all came up together. You know, we all started playing summer hockey together, Jimmy included when we were 13, 14 years old um, and team summer teams and then against each other in the select tournaments and then back on a team. And then, you know, we get to Ann Arbor and we're all in Ann Arbor together. And then he goes to BC and I go to BU, but we still had dinner once a week, you know, at his parents' house. So there's this, there's kind of a camaraderie that you get with your birth year. Mine is the 89 group. Um, you know, I think most guys now are younger than I am, but you're, yeah. I mean, I, I think that's one of the things that I think that uh, I'm going to make sure that I'm doing a good job. Anytime I'm, I'm on the air, or anytime I'm doing anything is, is trying to show people a little bit more. Obviously there's a certain level of privacy and respect that these guys want. They need, they deserve, but you're right. I mean, When you're out having beers with your friends, you certainly get more insight into what's going on in the locker room uh, than when you're when you have the the little recorder and you're you're doing a media scrum. So um, it'll be it'll be great. I I really do. I think I think fans are going to like it. I think they're going to appreciate it. I think it's not all going to happen at once, but I think we're going to slowly, you know, start building different platforms and ways to uh, communicate with people and show them a little bit more and. Um, you know, I'm kind of, I'm glad you guys are bringing that stuff up because it's important and, and you guys are nailing it. I mean, this is literally exactly what they were feeling and thinking when they decided to bring me in. Well, I, I just want to, you know, I think part of hockey's problem in terms of gaining widespread popularity is first of all, the TV deal wasn't great. Hopefully ESPN improves that, but there's this culture in hockey and I'm, I'm trying to think of the word Rick West had used when describing it, but it's it's almost as if everybody is is pressured to kind of be the same, same suit, same haircut, same hat. So, you know what I mean? Like individuality is not encouraged in hockey. And I think everyone, you know, I'm 43. James is younger than me. You're younger than both of us. We sort of realize that if hockey's going to take this next step, just like baseball has started to do, it's going to have to embrace the individual personalities of these guys. And I think you and the Hawks in hiring you are really on the right track of look, Connor Murphy's a great example. Signs a new deal today. He is a great guy. He is gregarious. He's salt to the earth. He's, he's all Mm. over the community. How many Chicagoans, if I walked down Michigan Avenue, I said, who is Connor Murphy? 
How many Chicagoans could answer that? Maybe five of the hundred, right? That needs to change, especially for a team as high profile as the Hawks, like you mentioned. I really think that the Hawks in hiring you are sensing that need and they know what they've got. They've got some really cool and interesting guys on the team. And I'm really glad that they've hired someone, you, to bring that out and show it to the people. And I think, again, your relationship with these guys, the trust you already have is going to do a great job in letting them just sort of loosen up around you and be themselves as opposed to kind of that protected, you know, we got to just sort of talk about the team and it can't be about me. Individuality is good. It doesn't mean you're a bad teammate if you're an individual. Yeah. No, I mean, you're you're nailing it. Guys never say what they truly want to say because they don't want to be the guy that ends up with their quote on Twitter. They're going to just say the same thing. We, we, we worked hard. We didn't get the bounces. You know, we're going to get back at it tomorrow. Um, I can tell you this. Uh, Jamie Faulkner, who is the president of this hockey club, is not okay with that. She wants to promote her players and the stars and the personalities. I know they are working on a lot of cool individual, um, you know, platforms, opportunities for the players, ways to get their brands out in the public, because they're, you're right. There's some studs on this team. I mean, it only got bigger this summer. Right. I mean, there were studs before, but there was a big gap between the studs and, you know, the, the, the depth. Now it's, it's a lot different. I mean, they really retooled this roster and, you know, Seth Jones has a big personality. I mean, he does, he's got a big, you know, I'm not saying he's loud, but he has a good, wholesome, you know, competitive, excited personality that like people need to see that and they're never going to see it in a post-game scrum. So, you know, I know that's one of the initiatives the team is working on. Listen, it's not going to change overnight because this is a culture that goes back a very long time, but you know, just something as small as Jersey ads, like times are changing. These traditionalists that don't want any of these things are starting to come around. People are starting to look around and see, you know, they're seeing what Scotty Upshaw is doing. They're seeing what Ryan Whitney's doing. Uh, they're seeing what O'Brien is doing and those got, you know, these different podcasts. Yeah. They're starting to think like, well, geez, these guys are doing it. These guys are talking about it. They see me get hired into a role like this. So, this is a good sign that that times are definitely starting to evolve with our sport. Um, and a lot of it is this guys like guys, hockey players grow up in these very blue collar homes and they don't come, you know, like that it's some of it is in their DNA from childhood. And then you put them in a locker room and then it just gets bigger. And, you know, it just, they get even quieter and tighter lipped. And, and look, even when I played, I was, you know, you know, I didn't say usually what I wanted to say. Um, you know, I didn't do a ton of media stuff. Usually at training camp, I would, cause I was a high draft choice. So I was usually fighting for a position in training camp. So we'll get some opportunities to have some media scrums. And, and, um, you know, when I was in Colorado after my first couple of games, I got to do a lot of things, but still, I, I think that you're seeing this slow shift. I think you're going to see sh- players on the Blackhawks are going to be given more freedom to, to talk and to, show their personalities. You see some of the guys on Instagram are starting to, you know, you see Strom and his golden retriever on yeah. social media picking up. Like sometimes that helps your dog and let, let your dog be the center of attention, but people get to see, you know, cause I just think guys generally don't want to be the center of attention. Um, and I know honestly, in my personal life, I don't necessarily need, need to do it either. You know, like I, I kind of still have that mentality with me, but I know when I'm on the air, it's my job to help the guys who don't want to say much to, to, to make them feel more comfortable. Um, you know, I said it to Mike Motto when we were working on the, the frozen four together, I was like, Mox, like when you and I are drinking beers, like you're, you're the best. And then you get in here and you, you kind of get tight. I'm like, you're Mike Motto. Like who cares what anybody thinks? Just let's just talk about the game. Don't worry about the camera. Don't, I'm like, Butchie doesn't worry about the camera. He's having as good a time as anybody. So um, John Butchagross is, you know, yep. so I, I just think that we're, we're working on it. You guys are, are totally like nailing this on the head. And overall, as a group, all people in the media can help um, mm-hmm. by sort of trying to be a little more on the ally side and less adversarial. I think that's a lot of it as well in big markets. I think 
players, the minute they feel a little bit adversarial to a media member, I think they, they, they fully wall off and that's it. They'll just never. So I think like, you know, it's almost a little, I know everybody has a job to hold people accountable and to, you know, but I also think as a group, we can do a better job of trying to, to bring it out of guys and trying to like make them feel a little bit less adversarial at times. And, and, you know, I can't wait to see John Tortorella on ESPN. I mean, that, that's going <laughs> to go one way or the other, but, um, Should be a you fun know, week. I, I, I can tell you for sure in the meetings that I've been a part of, you know, Jamie Faulkner is doing a very, very good job of pushing the envelope of what normal is in this sport. And she's been there for a year. Usually the first year you see like, you know, internally you'll see some changes might start to leak out. And then years three, four five, that's when you start to really see these things blossom. So um, I'm very much looking forward to it. And, and everything I've heard is very in line with what you guys are talking about. It's interesting. Uh, Jay and I have kind of discussed this off air before that we obviously we know Jamie Faulkner. We know the work she's been doing with the team. It's really interesting getting your perspective on kind of the way that she is kind of looking at this whole thing. Right. Kind of the culture changes that she's kind of trying to push forward, the different ways of kind of covering the team and presenting the team to the public. Those conversations with her sound like they've been uh, super exciting. And if you wouldn't mind, just give us a little bit of insight kind of into what that's been like, kind of talking to her and kind of happen this whole thing out because like I said we really haven't gotten a chance to obviously talk to her and we just are kind of curious about the way she's kind of running things over there well she she's another person that when she walks into the room she has a a big respect factor before she you know there's just certain people that can walk into a room and just command a room uh she's absolutely one of those people and she she's not someone who's going to sit here and say okay we won three cups. Uh, we've been okay. You know, ticket sales are good. You know, we're still making money. She is like, how can we improve the, the thing that we're best at? How can we be better? The thing that we're selling, you know, at a hundred percent, let's get it to 150, but let's be creative. Let's involve the players. Let's involve staff. Let's try to build the brands of these players. Let's, let's, let's make our, uh, you know, redo our merchandise line and, and turn it into uh, a, a more full business. Like they're looking at all these different revenue streams as any business leader would have to, but the approach is creative. It's not status quo. Let's check the boxes. It's no, it's, we're going to do this different. We might annoy some people, but we're, we're not going to be like the other 30 teams in the NHL. I know we have more than 30 teams now, but you know, <laughs> bear with me here. It's just, but she, it's it's how can we do this in a creative manner that nobody else is doing? How can we give these fans in Chicago an opportunity to see what nobody else is seeing? Um, who can we bring in? What you know? She's the type of leader that likes to bring her people in and then let them do their jobs. Um, she's definitely not a micromanager. She's somebody who believes in her team and letting them do her work. And I mean, I was privy to information about. Uh, different types of game presentations that they're working on and the amount of money that they're willing to spend to make sure not only the people on TV are seeing something cool, but the fans that are in the front row who are paying the most money to be there are getting to have this fan experience and the lighting. And I mean, it's like crazy stuff that I never would have thought about, but that is what they are concerned with. They want to create a great atmosphere and experience Um, And the players are included. It's not just, okay, the players play their 60 minutes, their product is on the ice. No, they're involving the players. They're getting feedback from the players. They're bringing them into these conversations. They're talking to them about, all right, what is it that you want to do besides hockey? Like, how can we grow your brand off the ice in order to enhance who you are in Chicago, what you do for this hockey club? Yeah, you still got to go out and score your goals. You still got to go out and back check. You still got to make plays. But, you know, there's a whole other side to this that you guys are saying to me right now. And we both know is just not done properly in the NHL. Other leagues do it more. The players are a little bit more free, have a little more freedom to do different individualistic things. But, you know, hockey's coming and and the Blackhawks are going to lead that charge. 
Man, there are so many questions I could ask you about all of this. This is such a fascinating topic, the presentation and the culture of hockey. But I know we did want to talk to you about some of the on-ice stuff with the Blackhawks, too. Um, Before we get to that, though, and I'll obviously let Jay kind of kick that off, I do have to ask you, you've mentioned several uh, people during this interview, whether it's Pat Foley, whether it's Edzo, whether it's John Tortorella, who are some of the broadcasters, the kind of the guys that you look up to and maybe kind of let them inform a little bit of what your style is while you're doing broadcasts? I mean, I got the best seat in the house now to watch the guy that I think is the best at this, and that's Eddie Olchek. Um, I mean, there's a reason when the national TV deal was up, there was a bidding war for who was going to get Eddie Olchek to lead coverage here in the United States. I mean, he is He's, he's the best at this. There's just no doubt. Um, I've watched Eddie for a long time. Even when I played, I liked watching Eddie. Uh, Eddie's the guy that I, I will watch and, and learn still uh, when Eddie is, is doing things. So, um, you know, I like Ray Ferraro. I, I, you know, we haven't got to see as much of him in the regular season because he's mostly been in Canada. I think ESPN, that is one hire they very much got right, uh, was Ray Ferraro. Um, you know, and, and I think, you know, those two guys, I, I've done a lot of games with a lot of different people. Uh, I've worked, you know, with Sam Rosen, I've worked with, uh, Pat Foley. Like you guys mentioned, I did a game, a couple games with Kenny Albert, uh, radio. I've called a bunch of winter classics. I think I've taken a little bit from a lot of different people, you know, Keith Jones, uh, when I was working in Philadelphia, doing studio work, obviously getting to watch Jonesy every night and seeing how he does it again. I don't think that I'm like anybody else necessarily, um, but I definitely watch some of those guys that I just mentioned. Honestly, I mean, Edzo's probably the guy that I've tried to pick the most up from. Um, there's there's a couple play-by-play people that I'll I'll, lay, I'll lean on a little bit. Um, you know, I, I I like working with the team too. Like when I do the Frozen Four and I get to work with Barry Melrose and John Butchercross, and I know our broadcast is a little unorthodox. Um, it just is. It's not your typical, you know, cut and dry play by play. And then one analyst and two analysts. It's much more, you know, three guys that are sitting there, you know, having a steak and drinking and talking about the game. I mean, seriously, like that's how I don't know if you guys caught any of the Frozen Four this year, but that is that is very much how Johnny Butchergrass, Barry Melrose and I do those games because we have a great time off the ice. We spend a lot of time together for two and a half weeks and we bring it right on the air. I mean, uh, there's a lot of chirping going on amongst the three of us. There's a lot of, you know, different ways where we're, we're just talking about the game and it's not a play by play guy. Who's kind of uh, yelling at you, telling you what's happening. And then I chime in on the left and Barry chimes in on the right. So I think our, our show with the, the frozen fours, it's, it's a little different. It's a little unorthodox for what I think we're looking for, but uh, I, I, it's one of the most fun things I work on and I get to do um, and, and just trying to like dig in a little bit deeper. I mean, I think a lot of analysts that work on TV, uh, I think they're, they get a little bit lazy. They turn into narrators of highlights and, you know, I'm not being brought in to narrate highlights. Anybody can read a read a shot sheet, and narrate a highlight. You guys have seen enough hockey to know that shot went over the goalie's glove. You, you both already saw that. So, you know, my job is to tell you where the breakdown happened. Was it 200 feet the other way? Um, and then I think a lot of the, my perspective, my position in hockey, guys, my default position is there is not a bad player in the NHL. That is my default position. Because I played in the NHL, I was drafted, I did not last a long career as a player, and I respect and I know how hard it is to exist in that league every day for X amount of years. So my default position is is every guy who plays in the NHL is a good hockey player. Now, there's varying degrees of good, which we obviously know, but when I broadcast... I, I come from that angle every single time and people may get annoyed at me this year and feel like, Oh, I'm not ripping a guy hard enough. But like the, the bottom line is, is when a defenseman turns the puck over, no matter how egregious the turnover may have been, he wasn't turning it over to piss everybody off. <laughs> He's trying to make a play that didn't work. So my job is to tell you what he was trying to do, why he didn't work and what he could have done differently to be successful in that opportunity. 
but by no means am I going to sit here and tell you, you know, player X sucks because he turned it over and the puck ended up back in the net. Cause there is no such thing as a player who plays in the NHL who either makes league minimum or higher, which I think is up to like $700,000 who sucks. It doesn't exist. So that is my default position. And that is kind of where my lens as I'm evaluating a game and watching a game, that's where it starts. Our conversation with Colby Cohen continues in a moment on the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. Welcome back into the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. Jay Zawoski here in Homewood, James Naveau out there in Kankakee, and our guest Colby Cohen is, where are you now? I am in uh, Margate, down the shore in Jersey. Okay, nice. All right, so we've been talking... Very nice. Yeah, we've been talking a lot about off the ice what the broadcast is going to be like and it sounds awesome but there is on the ice stuff to talk about uh first and foremost the news of the day the Blackhawks signed Connor Murphy to a four-year extension uh love that deal I mean mm-hmm. what 4.4 million he's locked up now for the next five years he was a UFA uh, pending after this season um we talked a little bit about Connor Murphy off the ice what do you like about his game on the ice and and why does that deal feel like such a bargain well because he would have got another probably million and a half or two million bucks a year had he got to the UFA market. So uh, it's a smart move. You give him a little bit of term and you get that number down a little bit in the fours. Um, and here's why I love the deal, guys. You win hockey games with goaltending and defense. Um, I mean, Patrick Kane is going to score 100 points no matter what. Like That's just, you know, that's like oxygen. We're still going to have oxygen when we wake up tomorrow. So you need a decor. You need guys that you can rely on. You need players who the young players can learn from, can play with, can watch them make simple plays and be successful. Connor Murphy is consistent every single night. You know what you're going to get out of him. You're going to get five goals. You're going to get 15 assists. And you're going to get a guy who plays his ass off every night, who kills penalties. He can fill in, if need be, anywhere in your lineup. He can play on the first pair and shut people down. He can fill in on the second power play if you need him. He'll kill penalties for you. I mean, there's basically nothing he doesn't do. He wears a letter, so he's obviously a leader. I don't know him personally, so I can't tell you what kind of leader he is. I'm, I'm not going to just make, make stuff up just for the sake of it. But, you know, I know his pedigree. He played at the national team. He played on the World Juniors. He's worn letters for USA Hockey. I, 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 I took that path as a player. Um, So I understand those types of characteristics guys have in order to captain those types of teams. Um, The cap hit is just right. You know, it's a fair deal for the player. It's a fair deal for the team. But now you have him. You've got he's locked up. You've got Seth Jones locked up. You know, you're bringing Stillman back. Uh, You know, you're starting to look at this decor, you know, the, the, the players who are locked up versus the young players now who are going to battle on the bottom side of the lineup, whether it's Kalanuk, whether it's Mitchell, Bodon. I mean, you know, Vlasic is at BU still, but he's coming. So now you've kind of got your top four locked up. You know who's going to play defense for you on your first two pairs every single night. You know who your starting goaltender is going to be most nights. And that that's how you build a hockey team that wins in the playoffs. I mean, you look at Tampa the last couple of years, Obviously, Braden Point, Kutra. I mean, these guys are ridiculous, and they might not be the best example because they're just like freak, you know, a freakishly built team. But look at their decor. Both years they won. They had six, seven NHL defensemen who could play any role and any way, any single night. They had a goaltender who stood on his head anytime the team had a slow start. He erases a lot of mistakes. That goaltender. Well, now the Blackhawks have the same thing. You know, you've got a number, a true number one defenseman. And these guys don't exist. There's only about a handful of them. They're like number one quarterbacks in the NFL. How many teams know every single year who their quarterback's going to be? Not that many, you know, you know, you kind of know, but Hey, we'll see. I mean, you know, well, now you've got your number one, your quarterback, Seth Jones is going to be here for eight, eight, you know, you don't have to think about this anymore. He's your number one guy. Right. So, um, I, I like it. I really do. I like the signing. He's a leader. He's good on the ice. He's consistent. You know, you guys watch him play hockey. I don't need to carve up his game and start talking about the different attributes, but it's, it's a, it's a really good signing 
Um, and it's an important signing for reasons that we don't just see on the ice. Obviously, the Seth Jones trade and signing uh, really lit Blackhawks Twitter kind of on fire this summer. A lot of mixed reaction to it. Obviously, a lot of excitement with what you said about him being a number one defenseman in the NHL. There are not very many of those guys. There were also detractors who said the cap, it was really high. The cost to acquire Jones from the Blue Jackets, especially with the situation they were in, where he only would accept a trade to a handful of teams. It felt like the Blackhawks gave up a lot to get him. What would you say to kind of those fans who kind of question the either the cost of acquiring him or the cost in signing him? Because the way you're making it sound, and I obviously don't want to put words in your mouth, that's why I'm asking you this. It sounds like this is a very reasonable contract for a guy who is a number one defenseman. Is that kind of a fair assessment of what the Blackhawks were doing and what they, what your eyes are kind of telling you here? Yeah, I'm, I'm never one to generally question a general manager because most of these guys are there for a reason, whether we like them or we don't, no matter what the city is, there is a reason they're a general manager and I'm not. So I generally look at what they do and then I start trying to, you know, understand well, why did they do it and, and what was their reasoning for it? And, your Seth Jones is a number one. Okay. Uh, he, there's only what 10, 12 true number ones in the league. I mean, do you guys agree with that? I mean, disagree if you do. I Probably. mean, I, I, I'm, I, I, that's, that's I, roughly know. the area we said. Yeah. Yeah. And if you want to nitpick, so, you might say Seth Jones is at the bottom of that, of the list of number ones, but the fact remains number one. Mm-hmm. Right. But you know, he's also born in what? 19. He's, he's, He's 26, 27 so years young. old. Yeah. Okay. So defenseman's best years are 26 to 32. I mean, that's when you see these guys absolutely dominate. I mean, Petrangelo, think about Petrangelo between the age of 26 and 32. You know, think about, I mean, like, Giordano. you know, Charlie, Ma- yeah, Charlie McAvoy, he's not there yet. He's still going like, he's still got a little more room. And, and so like, I think you get Seth Jones in his prime, which I think is exciting. You put him with a bunch of forwards like Kane and Taves, so he's going to be able to get the puck into their hands. I mean, you know, I, I don't know exactly who they're planning on playing him with, but, you know, you start, you think about Jake McCabe, you think about Tahan. I mean, you know, you start thinking he's going to have a good partner. He's going to have a good goaltender. And here's the other thing. When you're bidding for a player's services, you're always overpaying a little bit. You're always overpaying a little bit. I mean, that's just... That's anything. That's not just players. If you and I want the same car and we're at the the Jeep dealership trying to get the same car (laughs) and you and I want the last one on the lot and the sticker is 26,000, one of us is paying 28,000 or we're not getting the car. I mean, that's that's life when you're bidding on something. I mean, you look at what the Flyers did, what they gave up to get what they wanted on the back end this year um, or any team that was active in free agency you always overpay. I mean, that that's, that's life. That is not just for a player. So mm-hmm. I think the cap hits reasonable. He's a big, strong guy. He's built like a freaking Greek God. So <laughs> don't, he, he, he doesn't strike me as the type of guy who's going to break down because he's just a big, strong, tall guy. He's lean as hell. Um, you know, he moves very well. He doesn't take a lot of big hits because he skates so well. I mean, he's a big dude. You know, I, I love it. I, I really do. I'd have paid any price to get a guy like him on my team because I just think these number one defensemen are difference makers. A guy like him gets hot and gets really feeling good about his game at the end of the year. He's a type of defenseman you can ride into the into the cup. I mean, Hedman did it two years ago. McDonough did it last year and or this past season. Like you see every team who wins the cup has their star defenseman feeling really good about his game and really carrying the play and and just dominating the entire game, basically night in and night out in the playoffs. So um, I like the move. I, I don't mind the contract. That's the price of doing business. I thought it was brilliant to trade for his brother because honestly, I'm sh- I, look, I don't know his brother's game. Well, I'll learn his brother's game, but you know, I would think that, that was very strategic. Hey, we can get a good NHL player in Caleb, but then that puts us in the front running for a guy like Seth because who doesn't want to go play with their brother, obviously, right? So I thought that was a good, good move by Stan. I, I thought it was a uh, smart, you know, forward-thinking decision to make. 
Um, you know, knowing that the family is as close as they are. I mean, I don't know if you've seen them on social media. Their yeah. mom is like the CEO. If you if you look, I think in her her profile literally says CEO of like Team Jones or something like that. Um, and so I, I I'm looking. Look, I get to cover this guy every night and Mark Andre Fleury. I mean, and Kane and Tate. I mean, it's like you're 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 you have a nice nucleus of really really high end players. Then you you know with a good supporting cast. So. Um, you know, we'll see what happens once the season starts. But so far, I've been impressed with with a lot of the moves that have been made. All right. Well, before we let you go, I want to get your take. I, I think the biggest question Hawks fans have heading into the season is Jeremy Calton as a head coach. It feels like after, you know, three seasons, we still don't really know what to make of him um, because there's been injuries. There's been COVID. There's been Jonathan Taze missing a season. So it's been really hard to get a read on Jeremy Calton, a head coach. I know you're, you know, new to the Blackhawks scene totally, but you spent some time last season. What what are your early takeaways from about Jeremy Calton and in your conversations with the players, what have they expressed to you in terms of Jeremy Calton the head coach? So I know the players very much like playing for Jeremy, very much like playing for Jeremy. I mean, I I I got that uh, I knew that even before I, I joined the organization. Um, you know, I did the Winter Classic a couple of years ago and chatted with a bunch of the guys, Kaner included the guy's very much like playing for him. And that was, that was his first year. Um, or maybe even, you know, that year he might've even got brought in. Like Q might've gotten fired during the season that year. I don't, I don't remember I how it exact. I believe that's correct. I believe yeah. That I, I don't, season. don't, don't hold me to the exact, but I'm pretty sure that that was how that worked out. So, you know, the, and, and that was a team full of a lot of older guys that were starting to be different roles, which is a challenge for a guy who's in his thirties. Right. So, I know the players like playing for him. He's a player's coach. Um, he's a very smart hockey mind, just chatting with him when it comes to his X's and O's. But, you know, I think for him, uh, the organization very much believes in him and they very much are doing everything they, they can to make him successful. But what I will tell you about him, because uh, I played against him in the American League. We played against each other quite a bit. He was in Bridgeport. I was in Providence. And He's a hard player to play against, and he's got that kind of ingrained in his personality, and he wants his skill players to play hard and to be hard to play against. But what I think would be most exciting for him and for what he's going to do as a coach this year is the fact that look at the Hawks roster right now, and you'll see something you haven't seen in the past couple of years. You see competition. You see players who are going everyday NHL players um, – like Connolly, for example, you know, they didn't bring Hinnestroza back after he was pretty good at the end of the year yeah. last year. But, you know, you look at a guy like Connolly, uh, you look at a guy like Gaudet, you know, you start looking at some of these guys, they are going to com- have to compete for NHL jobs or they're going to be in the American League. Um, you know, this team is going to have position battles in training camp. I mean, you guys have covered the team closer than I have in the last couple of years, but has there been a lot of true, true position battles amongst good, normal, everyday NHL players in the no. past couple of years? What we've had is which young guy is the least green. Yep, which guy's going to get the first shot at like the fourth? Exactly. Line, basically, yeah. but but now you start looking at the roster, guys. There's a lot of forwards on one-way contracts that are NHL players that. You know, there's only 12 that can dress. So you're mm-hmm. going to go, we're, we're going to be watching inter squad position battles and training camp. I mean, Jeremy Colleton, for the first time, has a little bit of a riches within his forward lineup. He's got a little bit of a riches in his defensive lineup. I mean, he's got capable defensemen. I mean, there's going to be probably four young defensemen battling for that sort of bottom spot or, or somewhere in that bottom four, I guess maybe you could say, or maybe it's five, you know, six, seven, but whatever. You never want a young guy sitting in the press box too often. But I think the best teams have a lot of internal competition. I mean, the best teams that I was on, that I was around, whether I was sitting in the press box in Boston, watching the team win every night in the playoffs in 2011, or it was training camp. And I'm looking around and I'm like, you know, there's nothing given. I mean, besides maybe the first two lines on, on that, that Bruins team in, in 11 and then in 12, everyone else was competing for a job up until the, the first game and just about every night the entire season. I mean, and, and that's healthy for a club. I mean, 
generally the teams that are winning in the end of the season are teams that had position battles for, for the first half of the season where guys had to earn. It's not a given that you're playing on Monday night or, or Thursday night against, you know, Nashville. It's not going to be a given this year. I mean, look, we all know the players that are playing every night when healthy, that's any sport, any team, you know, you name it. But when, when four or five forward spots and, and, and maybe two, you know, a, a whole pair of defense is competing to be on this team every night, you know, that gives Jeremy Colleton a lot more flexibility, a lot more options, you know, a lot more ability to, um, you know, sort of manage the guys that he, he really hasn't had had since he's been here. So um, I know the organization, you know, believes in Jeremy a lot and, I know you guys don't get a chance to see everything. Um, I know behind the scenes, you know, in talking to him, he's a smart guy. I mean, I've learned different things about hockey. I've picked his brain about different things, system oriented that maybe have changed since I played to really try to understand and be up to speed on things. But, but I, I'm looking forward to seeing how he does this season. Um, you know, I think at the NHL level, guys, everyone from Jeremy – to me and to Pat and to Eddie and to the head of communications and to the president, everyone is being evaluated all the time. The only person who's technically not evaluated is the owner. The rest of us, we're evaluated every single day. This is the NHL. We need to show up, we need to perform, and we need to do our jobs. And we're going to see more of that on the ice this year than I think that the team has had in the last couple of seasons. I, I really do. I don't think guys who have maybe gotten a little bit comfortable are going to have the ability to be comfortable this year. And I think a lot of players when they're pushed a little bit and they're feeling a little bit backed into a corner, they, they, they play their best and, and they show up and they answer the bell. And so, you know, that's kind of, look, we, we know what Kane and Taves are going to do. If Taves is, is ready to go and he's helped, like we know what we're getting out of those guys every night. We know what Connor Murphy's going to do. We know what Seth Jones is going to do, but like, you know, what are some of the guys we talked about earlier going to do, right? Like what's, what's Riley Stillman going to do on a night in a night out basis and, and what's Dylan Strom going to do. And, and, you know, how's that going to affect Wyatt Kalanuck and, and Ian Mitchell. And, you know, we know Kuba Leak, he's going to come to play. He's going to play hard. Like we know that about him, but, but what about, you know, Tyler Johnson's coming in and he's going to want to play every night. He just won two cups, right? So who's he going to push? Who, who's going to say, old? Oh, well, now, now, now Connolly's here and, and Nylander's coming back. He's healthy and Borgstrom's in the mix. I mean, I love the competition amongst good players that should be in the NHL every night. And there's going to be tough roster decisions to make. I mean, you know, Stan, Jeremy, I mean, these guys are going to have really tough decisions to make in training camp, which like you guys mentioned, I don't think that's been the case the last couple of seasons. Kobe, thank you so much for your time, man. It's been you've been over generous with your time, so <laughs> yeah. we're not going to keep you any longer. But thank you so much. Can't wait for the season to begin and see uh, everything you're bringing to the Blackhawks. Uh, really appreciate it, man. Thanks for your time. Yeah, always, guys. Look, uh, we'll we'll talk again. I hope so for sure. Appreciate sure, it, man. man. Thank you. Thanks to Colby Cohen, the Blackhawks' new content analyst, for joining us here on the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. Thank you to you for tuning in. Obviously, we greatly appreciate that. Thanks to James Navo for taking time out of his work schedule to do the podcast. We also want to make sure to tell you about our friends at Fry the Coop and FryTheCoop.com. What's Fry the Coop? The best damn Nashville hot chicken you've ever had in your life. I had it the other day for lunch. Absolutely outstanding. Not the smartest move to have it as my first meal of the day, but you know what? Worth it. A little bit of heartburn was worth it after all. And look, if you like hot food, look no further than fry the coop there's a location in oakland elmhurst west town prospect heights and tinley park so if you're in the chicagoland area and chances are you are there is a fry the coop near you so go check them out go to frythecoop.com you can order online some locations like tinley park have a drive-thru just go to the drive-thru order what you want i will warn you fry the coop is hot if you think you're a tough guy be careful be warned they do not mess around when it comes to heat but if heat's not your thing they've got the country style which is no heat at all they've got the mild which is very manageable but beyond the mild look out it gets hot at fry the coop hope you enjoyed that colby cohen was great sounds like he will be a friend of the podcast for a long 
time to come. But until we meet next time, going to wrap things up here on the podcast. Make sure you're following us on social media at Madhouse Pod. We're on Instagram at Madhouse underscore pod. Find us on Facebook and remember our T public shop as well. There are always sales going on there. So make sure when you see one, you act and you buy. Even if you don't want Madhouse stuff, use our link to shop at Tee Public because it helps us out greatly. Until next time, my name is Jay Zawoski. For my partner, James Naveau, this has been the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. The Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast was brought to you by Fry the Coop, Triple Threat Sports, and by the Sins in Law Group. I'm Amira Rose Davis, historian and co-host of the sports podcast, Burn It All Down. And now I'm hosting the new season of American Prodigy, all about black girls in gymnastics. For the last 40 years, black gymnasts have moved from the margins to the core of the sport and changed gymnastics along the way. Now they tell their stories. You'll meet trailblazers like Diane Durham, superstars like Jordan Childs, and everyone in between. Listen to American Prodigies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.